0: In 2007, I was divorced, in debt, stuck, in a soul-sucking job, desperate to have a meaningful, fulfilling life, but not sure where to begin. I made a simple choice at the time. To start honoring my yes, and to start speaking my no. Consequences be damned. After all, how could my life possibly get any worse? I began the long path of becoming a professional songwriter, finding my fearless voice along the way. Now, I'm living my dream life as a husband, father, and professional storyteller. Nick Thacker is a full-time USA Today best-selling author of action-adventure thriller novels. Think Indiana Jones. When his grandfather passed away in 2011, he left behind a sizable collection of thriller novels, That's when Nick discovered Dan Brown and rekindled his love of reading. He quickly realized that he could write a book in a similar style. His goal? Surprise his dad with a copy for Christmas. He pulled it off and eventually started writing full-time. That choice came with its own perils. Nick discovered that he was prone to anxiety and panic attacks. You'll want to listen to this episode to learn how Nick's adapted to the unique challenges that come with relying on creative output for income. Well, Nick Thacker, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller. Well, thanks for having me, Ethan. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so for people who don't know who you are, um, what do you want to share about yourself?
1: I, I doubt there's anyone out there who doesn't know who I am, though. Don't you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um there are probably most people on the, on the planet who don't know who I am, actually. Um, so I am an author, surprise, surprise, and I write thrillers, action-adventure, um, Indiana Jones, National Treasure type stuff. Been doing that full-time for a few years now, but I've been writing only for about 10 total. Um, so in in some cases, I'm a pretty new author, pretty, um, pretty fresh at it, I guess.
0: And things been going okay for you?
1: uh yeah things are going okay you know you we were just talking about um my life before you press record and my life right now is going okay we're uh in the middle of a big move to big island hawaii mm-hmm. so we're um gonna sort of do the do the dream move sell everything and move to an island in the right
0: Pacific. <laughs> so you're kind of you're kind of mid dream as, as we record this you know you you're, you're, yeah. sold yeah. you sold things <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, it is. It, it's definitely a dream for us. Um, I think the joke is everyone wants to live in Hawaii, but no one wants to move there. And we're <laughs> understanding why. Expensive,
0: <laughs> it's expensive. Yeah. Uh, it's
1: it's definitely, yeah. I mean, it's it's better than we thought it would be in some ways and way worse in, in other ways. Like dogs, taking dogs to, to Hawaii. I mean, it's just, if you can euthanize yeah. your dog before you go, that's just far better of an option, honestly.
0: Um, You're I'm alluding all to the fact around. that you have to, you have like to ship... You have to ship them and then they have to be quarantined or you have to quarantine them before.
1: So yeah. The, the quarantine thing, I'm not sure my wife is, is running that whole process with the dogs because it's yeah. so expensive. I just couldn't look at it anymore. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, the, the, they just changed the rules now and I don't know if they have to be quarantined born in like a day, mm, but it's, that's cool. it's not that it's, um, it's, it's just the, the cost of getting them there. I mean, it's more expensive to ship a dog than it is to ship a child. I yeah. could literally just put my kid <laughs> on a plane for 200 bucks and they'd maybe in, in Hilo. Um, Nowhere to go once they get there, of course, but uh, you know, the dog it's like carry, but they do like a door to door service thing, yeah. We found a company that specializes, let's like military moves specifically, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. is what they do, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that 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 is crazy. Uh, thankfully, my wife is handling all that. Um, she's been killing it lately. Like I was joking with you before the call, I'm in my master bedroom on the bed because we have no furniture, like, we don't have any. I, I was like, oh, I'm to do this call. I don't have a desk. I sold that two days ago. We don't have like, we have a kitchen table with two chairs left. I don't know why we're selling them one at a time. Yeah. You know, but all the girls are running around downstairs. So I was like, I don't really have anywhere to go. And I can't of course go out to a coffee shop or anything right now. So yeah. Anyway, weird.
0: (laughs) It is weird. And so how, how has like book selling going in the midst of COVID and and everything?
1: Yeah. You know that I've been sort of waiting for
0: the other shoe to drop in, in some sense. And it hasn't happened
1: yet, which is good. For me personally, Mm -hmm. um, my books have still been selling well. Um, I've had a couple BookBub ads in the last uh, six months or so, and so those certainly have helped keep things afloat. I've had a couple launches. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think just with with what I'm seeing is, is people are still buying books, people are still reading, uh, if not more than they were before. you know, I think the disposable income is going to start drying up here at some mm-hmm. point, and And we may see a drop in that. But in my opinion, it seems like people are turning to entertainment as an escape. And yeah. books are no exception to that, right? And so I think um, the people who read the types of books I write, um, the people who read those are wanting more and more of those. And so whether yeah. or not they can afford it um, will will remain to be seen. But at this point, no things are going well. Um, yeah. My income hasn't hasn't dropped, and in, in fact, it's gone up. Uh, January um, through whatever month it is, June, um, it seems to be steadily increasing. And I think that's not based on COVID, but just the promos I've done and stuff. But it tells me that um, you know, hey, as long as we hit it hard with marketing and, and we still advertise and we still uh, run sales and promotions and things like that, then I think we can we're going to be okay as authors. Yeah, my prediction
0: and i suppose in the world of impulse buys you can't go much cheaper than a book
1: well that's just it right yeah i mean netflix everyone's already got an account with with that and and hulu whatever tv watching but um you know if you don't have a kindle unlimited subscription our books as indie authors are are always cheaper than mm-hmm. the traditionally published guys and and so my books are no exception, even though I price pretty high. My mine are six ninety nine. Hmm. Um, but that's seven bucks, you know, and it's gonna entertain you hopefully for a couple of minutes until you decide it's terrible and put it down. But <laughs> right. um yeah, yeah.
0: And I don't talk a lot of business, but you know, when it presents itself, so you're pr- pricing six ninety nine and you're exclusive to Amazon, so that means you're also playing a different market as well, right?
1: Yeah, and and yeah, like I said, I don't want not, not to get too far into the into the weeds with the business stuff. My my goal all along was to position myself as a cheaper alternative to a traditionally published guy like Clive Custler or James Rollins, those mm. big 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 hitters, heavy hitters in my genre.
2: Yeah,
1: um, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but it seems to have worked. Um, be, you know, people don't see my books as expensive indie books; they see them as inexpensive compared to the trad pub guys. Um, and then the other thing I'm trying to do, like, like you said, I'm exclusive to Amazon. And so, um, I want people in Kindle Unlimited to look at my book and say, oh, it's seven bucks, or I could just, I'll just get it for free here in Kindle Unlimited. Yeah. Um, because then it seems like a better deal, right? They're, they're saving more money because it's $7. (laughs)
0: Right. And how long are typical books for action adventure thrillers?
1: Anywhere from 80 to a hundred thousand words is, is pretty typical. Mm-hmm. Um, mine easily fall into that category. Lately, they've been on a shorter end of that um, just because I'm, I'm pacing a little bit faster now um, yeah. as I try to get better with my storytelling and all that. I found 80,000 to be sort of a sweet spot for me at the moment. Uh, but I've had some that run into 110,000 words too, um, yeah. just because there's more unpacking and puzzle solving to do.
0: Okay. Well, let's, let's rewind a little bit then. So you started writing 10 years ago and you've mentioned Clive Custler and James Rollins. And I'm guessing none of that is an accident. And that, <laughs> like, why are you writing books?
1: That, that is a good question. Um, yeah. I started about 10 years ago writing, but I've always read that genre, the James Rollins, the Clive Custlers, Those were, those are the greats to me and mm. still are, you know, and rest in peace, Clive Kessler just passed away earlier this year, but, James Rollins is still pumping out books and uh, um, Andy McDermott, Matt Riley, all these guys I kind of discovered at the same time. And um, when I was a kid and and I just started reading and I just couldn't get enough of them. So when I first wrote a book, I I kid you not, my initial thought was, well, these guys can all do it. It must not be that hard. Um,
0: Nice. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's a a fair kid reaction (laughs) until you're told otherwise.
1: Oh, no, 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 you get, you know, no, I started reading these when I was a kid. I started writing when I was very much an adult and should have known better. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but it, it probably says more about me than it does um, what I thought of them to, to think that they just, this this is so easy because there's so many of these authors doing it. But yeah. of course the answer is it's, it was way harder than I thought. It was um, incredibly difficult to write that first book, but I did it because my granddad had passed away. Uh, it was about 2011 uh, yeah, I said about 10 years so 2011 or so my my granddad um, had had passed away a year or two earlier and um, I wanted to give my dad his son hmm. a gift of a book that I wrote and you know we all read in the same genre we would trade paperbacks and stuff and so that was like my ultimate like hey I'm gonna write a book and give it to my dad on Christmas wow. morning um he's gonna unwrap it and be like oh wow holy crap my son wrote a book this is great um it, it, that's exactly what happened. It was just a year later because it was so hard to write this stupid thing. Um,
0: that's but, a really uh, that cool was, reason like to started. get started.
1: Yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that was all it was. I thought <clears throat> I like writing I know I like reading this stuff. Um, in some sense I needed kind of an escape from my day job, which I hated. Yeah. Um, and so I would write you know in lunch breaks and before, in the mor- early morning and on the porch uh, in our apartment. but yeah that was that was really the, the, the goal was to just surprise my dad with a book that I wrote. Um, it was really cool. I mean, he, I remember his face, he unwrapped it and he was like, Oh, cool. A book. Thank you. Uh-huh. Um, cause I had the whole thing. I mean, the whole point was like, I wanted it to look like I'm quoting little finger quotes here. Uh, I wanted it to look like a real book. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I wanted it to look like what I'd see on the shelf at a bookstore. So I paid a cover designer or graphic designer I worked with to do the cover. Uh, she did a bang up job. And, um, I think I had Lulu do the, the hardcover version, um, <clears throat> which is what I printed out and gave to him. And he unwrapped it, and and it was called at the time it was the golden crystal. It's since been relaunched as the Atlantis Stone. Mm. But I gave him the golden crystal, and you know he looked at it and it was like, "Oh, cool, thanks." A book, and, <laughs> and my mom was like, "Well, look at who, look at the author." <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, holy shit! You wrote this book? What?" You know, and it was the whole the whole thing was great.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was well, great. that's. I imagine that's a pretty good motivation to keep you writing. So it was pretty it, difficult it is. process. It's, it's a,
1: yeah, it's a good story. Um, and it was definitely worth it at the time. I always also make the joke kind of in the same breath that had I known how difficult it was, I don't think I would have ever done it. Um, yep. so it kind of Why happened is that? To things at first. The, the naivety of it, right? Like, I think it's because, um, you know, the more we know about something that we haven't done, the more chal- or the, the, the challenging thing, the more challenging it, it seems and it is, mm we know what we're getting into and it's like oh i don't think i have the 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 energy for this the headspace for this mm. um, i'm learning programming right now right i'm learning um i'm doing the the harvard course cs50 yeah. and uh, trying to learn python and and, and all kinds of things i mean and i sort of dabbled with programming i i sort of am a programmer in some sense but then there's just so much that i don't know i wouldn't actually be able to get a job as a programmer so yeah. i'm trying to get to the point where i know enough that i could say no i'm actually a, a professional
0: programmer um, yeah I- I can see the the parallel there, having worked yeah. in the industry for a long time.
1: Yeah, it's something I've always been interested in. But the you know, the whole point of it is, if I'm sort of I, I know what I don't know at this point <laughs> with programming. Yeah. Um, and it's just mind-bogglingly challenging for me to to do some of this stuff. I'm like, I don't think I'll ever learn how to do this because I know it's I know it's remaining. I you know I know what I have to, to do, and it just seems too hard. I think it'd be a lot easier if I didn't. And I could just be like, okay, what, what do I have to learn today? Great. Got it. Let me just learn that. And you know, keep doing that until all of a sudden I am a programmer.
0: Yeah. So I'm guessing there's some joy in the process. If it's that daunting.
1: Some joy. (laughs) No, there is, there is absolutely with, with writing and and programming again, it's, it's creation for me. That's, that's what I started doing all of this for really. Yeah. Um, You know, my, my, dad's christmas gift was a good excuse to get started but um truthfully i loved the entire process of it um i remember um, getting lulu uh getting the hardcover printed at lulu and i did a paperback and everything and and just measuring the the different sizes um and and at the time we didn't have vellum you know so we i was doing everything in indesign um as miserable the process that was but it was still fun i loved all of it i loved doing the um the, the back and forth with the cover designer. Um I had an editor I was working with mm. who's now a co-writer of mine and, and we're we're really good friends, but just everything about that was really cool. I, I think people do this thing for the control and I do enjoy being able to control the outcome. Um but truthfully it's not about the control for me. It's about the creative freedom. It's about just being a part of all the, the process, mm. you know. Yeah. And I think that's what programming um I like about the idea of being able to program and sit down and create something that didn't exist the day before.
0: So I imagine that that's a similar motivation to um, making music, right? I know you haven't talked about that, but that's the thing you absolutely. went to school for.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, <clears throat> I, you know, originally the, the dream was to become a film score composer. So I, I played trombone all through middle school and college. I mean, all the way from middle school to college Um, went to school on a scholarship for that and wanted to study composition. And, and I did, um, found out that academic composition is much different than, you know, moving to LA and becoming a film score composer. But so I kind of, I I lost interest in in that during that, um, the college years, but it, yeah, at at, at its core, you're exactly right. The the creation process is very much a a reason why I uh, was drawn to music at an early age.
0: Yeah. And having done all three, like, Music and writing and programming, like there's a this tremendous amount of overlap in the in the process and mindset of it.
1: Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I was gonna say that that is true. You've you've done all three of those things as well, and still do.
0: Yeah, I, I, I suppose no, it's the only know. reason I didn't turn my back on writing books it was because I understood there was a process to it, and okay, it wasn't just something that I could. Genius, be a genius and whip a story out.
1: So, in other words, you understood more intuitively how difficult it would be, but yeah. you knew that the creative process was there, and so it was something worth worth engaging in.
0: Right? Yeah, I, I learned the of the concept of craft, and okay, because yep. I understood that there was a thing called craft, that if I sought that out for writing books, that would give me some sort of framework to work within, and. And learn I
1: like that. Yeah, I like that. I've always said, so one of the, the first books I read, and it well, going back to this first book that I wrote, um, I just kind of gave up in the middle, I got to that muddy middle, and didn't know what I was doing. And so I stopped. And that, that was when I actually wrote the outline and did all the stuff I should have done. Up front. Mm-hmm. But um, I read a few books about the craft of writing. And one of the ones that I still reread every year, at least, um, is called the uh, techniques of the selling writer by Dwight Swain. Mm. And I loved it because, you know, he's uh, dead now, but he he put a whole um, commercial spin on this thing called craft. And I, from the, from the very beginning, I thought, well, it's not about selling books. Um, It's about writing something that other people want to read, which happens to coincide with selling books. Um, Because if you can write, if you can sell a book, it means people want to read it. So, um, so I liked the whole commercial aspect that he was putting in, but really it's exactly what you said. It's this, he talked about craft. He talked about, you know, Hey, there's a framework here. There's a, you know, I don't want to say the word formula. It's a bad word to us authors, but there's in some sense a blueprint for writing this type of book Hmm. uh, called commercial fiction. And, and here's what it is. Um, And I loved that. I I thought it was okay. Well, Hey, now I can wrap my mind around this. Now I can actually put my own spin on, on a blueprint that's been tried and tested for millennia. Right. And that's exactly what what I enjoyed about it. And so the craft for me is not about finding a new way to write a novel. It's about finding a new way to do the storytelling that I want to do all within this framework called, you know, action adventure novel.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I would ask why action adventure, but I guess I need to ask the reader part of you, of you, <clears throat> right. So, so what is it about action adventure thrillers and Clive Cussler and James Rollins that has you so hooked in that you have to write your own stories in that genre?
1: Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think what it is really, um, I, I grew up reading. I loved reading. And then about maybe high school, I hated reading because it was all assigned, you know, in literature, this and mm-hmm. this and, and all that. it was crap. I hated it. Mm. Um, so I sort of stopped reading when I became an adult, um, and rediscovered it. And <clears throat> instead of the stuff I used to read as a kid, Hardy Boys and, and the Matt Christopher sports stuff, mm. um, I, I picked up a copy of a book my dad had on his, on his, um, end table. Um, I think I had a test at school or something. And so I was like, oh, I need a book to read after the test. And so I picked it up and it was the Da Vinci code. Mm. Um, and I was hooked. I was like, this is incredible. I can't believe I'm so engaged in it. They're, I wonder if this is the only book that was ever written like this, or if there's anything else in this genre, you know, um, <laughs> little did I know. But what it is, Ethan, is it, 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 it all came down to um, when I discovered Dan Brown, I read all of his stuff and then I, I discovered James Rollins. I read all of his stuff and I just would branch out from there. And, but at its core, I, every book I'm sort of compared to the Da Vinci Code. Mm. Um, and only recently have I branched out from reading action adventure thriller type stuff To reading sci-fi or fantasy or Mm. uh, any number of different genres, I still don't really read a lot of that stuff. And it's not that I don't like it; I love sci-fi. It's just I don't have time. I don't even read action adventure stuff anymore. And that's the 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 worst sin I think I can admit to is uh, is not being able to read, not having enough time to read because I feel guilty as as a writer. I should be writing. Um, So yeah, I guess to answer your question, it all comes down to um, I just. I, I, I started reading that and I haven't finished reading that entire genre. I, there's still more books out there that I want to read. Um, and so when I started writing, I wrote what I knew, which literally was only that genre. Um, so I've dabbled in sci-fi, you know, now, but um, it, it took a long time for me to discover that other people have written books in other genres and they're good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. So it sounds like you're still having fun.
1: Still having fun. Yep. And I'll do it until it's not fun anymore.
0: Yeah. So, so you've been writing, I don't know how many books have you released now?
1: Oh, um, I don't know. Uh There's 10 in the Harvey Bennett series, which is kind of my bread and butter series. Um A, a few other books here and there and in, in different series. And then I've co-written a bunch of books as well. So I, I think it's coming up on about 20 or 25 mm. total.
0: Yeah. And so part of the process of writing and selling books is you get reviews. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and so what's your relation? <laughs> what's your relationship with book reviews that you get? And has that shifted? Has um, that yeah. shifted over the years?
1: That's interesting. I'm sure it has shifted. Um, I don't know that I would recognize it unless it was pointed out to me. But I, because in what I guess what I mean is, from the very beginning, I sort of knew in some sense. I mean, uh, I was naive about most of the process, but the one thing I knew going into it was. I want to publish this and release it to the world, and I, I want people to review it. And I know that they're going to be asshats who <laughs> leave shitty reviews because they're just jerks and they, you know, are failed writers, or whatever. I also know there's going to be people who leave good reviews that are still one star because um, they just didn't like it, and that's fair. Yeah. Um, I, I had at the time I had been blogging for a little while, and so I was used to people leaving comments. Um, mm. Same sort of thing, right? Where the, my opinion of your piece is that you're trash. And, okay, well, hey, thanks for your comment, random anonymous internet person. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't quite trolling, but I was used to putting my stuff out there and then having it reviewed by the world. Um, so I had sort of a thick skin developed, I think. And so when I first got those reviews, they didn't bother me. I was, I just expected them. Oh, well, there's that first one star review. There's that two star one. There's that three star one that's, you know, kind of misses the point or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's how I treat them now. I, I don't really read all my reviews. I, I, I certainly don't read all my reviews and there's thousands of them. Um, and I don't mean that to sound arrogant. There's just some, there's a lot of them, one star, five star, whatever. Yeah. And I don't want to spend time reading other people's opinions of my work because at the end of the day, it's not really going to change my work. Mm. Mm. Um, there is a, a, you know, when I, when I go through and I see a bunch of people commenting that, you know, this, this isn't Thacker's best work. It, it seems like it was rushed um the editing is poor it's choppy things like that um start to come to the surface then i can take a step back and go well maybe they're onto something maybe maybe i did rush through this one but what did i do different in the process of writing this particular book Mm -hmm. that um that i didn't do before that's happened before you know when i when i released the the paradise key i think is the book um that i'm thinking of there were a bunch of reviews that were like hey you know the story just seems kind of half-baked it's not quite there Um, I I get what he's trying to do with it. So it's four stars, but I think it could have been better. Mm. And a lot of people started saying that. And I, I realized, okay, well at that time, um, I was suffering from very severe anxiety, panic attacks. Mm. Um, I I just was not in a good place mentally. And so, and I was going to therapy and all that stuff. And so, um, I think justifiably my writing reflected that it suffered. Right. And so, Mm. um, people started, you know, some of the reviews of that book, you could tell <clears throat> something was different about that book. And so now I didn't go and because of the reviews say, well, I guess I should get rid of the anxiety. Like, obviously that was something I wanted to do was, was figure out how to get a handle on this thing called anxiety, but mm. the reviews reflected that. So, in a sorry, probably more words than I needed. Um, all I'm saying is that my relationship with reviews is they're sort of this third party anonymous um, presence that, I don't really listen to yeah um but it is it is something that I check in on it's sort of a a pulse if you will or a barometer maybe for my my um my my book releases a, a macro level you know not right. a, not a micro level I'm not going to look at a review and go oh this person
0: So it's not going to change is, the content of what you write but Exactly yeah precisely and, yep you know just out of curiosity you don't have to talk to this um but I'm curious how much the Writing or writing as a career um, may have or did or didn't play into you know some sense of anxiety or panic.
1: Um, it, it did actually, and I think it was the main reason why I, I became anxious. Um, I, I'm, I'm I've, I know a lot about anxiety now, and uh, I, I I learned it the hard way, and I don't recommend that. But um, anxiety is this weird fake thing. That, that's very real, you know, and that's a super, super simplistic way of putting it. But it's this, this voice in our head that tells us we're not good enough. We're not going to make it the doom and gloom. It's, it's experiencing failure in advance. Mm. Um, and so when I started full time, um, I think I had this expectation in the back of my mind that, um, well, Hey, if I'm, if I'm now dedicated and committed full time, 40 hours a week, at least to writing and nothing else, um, I should be able to, you know, double or triple my output and, uh, double or triple my sales and all that stuff will go up.
2: Um,
1: and that didn't happen. You know, it was, it was certainly, um, it looked like it was going the other direction for a little while. Hmm. Um, but that's just the way book sales are. And that's just the way writing is. And I had to learn that. I had to learn it the hard way, but that was the cause of of my early, um, you know, anxiety and panic attacks. I remember the first one I had, I was in the basement. Um, my wife was upstairs. I don't know where our kids were um I was working I was writing and i had checked my sales and mm. they were low and and they weren't any lower than they had been they mm-hmm. weren't any lower than they were before I went full-time as a writer they were just some expectation in my mind was they should yeah they, they should be higher yeah um but that was kind of the catalyst but but the the anxiety was there and it it all of a sudden bubbled over and turned into this i, I just i panicked i i ran upstairs I was crying and I was like i tape. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know. I can't do this. This isn't what I wanted. Um, um, you know, and it was just this, it was the isolation of being a full-time writer. Um, mm-hmm. not having the people I used to work with and, and, you know, in the office. And, um, it was the, uh, the fear of, of not knowing what was next the unknown, all of it together would mm-hmm. cause this massive, massive panic attack. Um, and it wasn't the only one. It, I, I I discovered that I was somebody who was prone to anxiety at that moment. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so it, it was a long process and it, it's not one that I'm um, struggling with right now as much, but it's definitely s- still a part of me. I am still somebody who gets anxiety. Um, the thing, the difference is now um, I'm just a better human because I know some of those triggers. I know some of those psychological um, barriers that I have to, I have to watch out for, you know? So if, mm-hmm. if I drink alcohol um, too much, if mm-hmm. I, stay up too late. These are Mm. things that will cause anxiety. And so Mm. knowing that, knowing those triggers is really, really crucial. I can still drink alcohol, actually. Drinking a beer tends to stave off some of the anxiety, but drinking eight beers tends to bring it on, right? So there's some Mm -hmm. of this, this balance here that it's probably not news to anyone listening, but um, I didn't know any of that stuff. I didn't know that that's how I was going to react to some of the fear of the unknown. And so really the bottom line is um, I'm not cured. I still have anxiety, but I don't really, I don't struggle with it um, because I, I, I knock on wood at the time or at, uh, currently at this time, I don't struggle with it, but it's mainly because I've practiced um, struggling with it. I've practiced some of the tools and techniques. Like I said, I was in therapy. And so mm-hmm. my uh, Scott, my therapist was really, really, really uh, critical and crucial in getting some of these tools help uh, build built with me is what i'm saying and so just practicing that stuff has has helped immensely
0: Um,
1: and practicing going through you know lean months (laughs) has helped a lot as well
0: (laughs) so so implied implied in that perhaps is that there are lean months in and maybe you've got some over the last few years enough data to know that that those aren't a permanent thing
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's um, it's like looking at, you know, we all know self-employed people are um, you're gonna have the roller coaster ride, of uh, of sales, yeah. or of, uh, of of the income. And my problem was that I was looking at the roller coaster ride, um, on a much smaller scale than I should have been. You know, if the roller coaster is going up and down, um, and you're just looking at the down section, it's it seems like you know, oh, health, we're all we're all gonna die. This is not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, if you zoom out and you see the whole roller coaster, you can kind of see okay well actually no i've I've been increasing my income steadily for the last five years, uh, but I have to that, look at it at a five year level then yeah. you know not not a one month level,
0: yeah, so my low sales month versus twelve months ago, <laughs> right
1: yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly,
0: yeah, so spotting trend, so you have um family, you've got pets you're working full time writing books um you've got hobbies you've got hopes and dreams right so what does balance mean to you
1: oh that's a good question and i I knew you were going to ask that because you and i talk about this a lot and we've we've actually been on calls together we've talked about nothing but balance yeah um and uh so my answer is just whatever you say it is ethan because you're you're (laughs) right and i'm wrong um about that and no, um, <laughs> I think that's something I've struggled with is trying to, yeah, I know, right? Um, everybody listen to Ethan. He knows what he's talking about. That That is true, actually. But for me, um, I've had to kind of uh, come to the understanding that balance, like this whole work-life thing is this, um, uh, excuse me, I'm going to sneeze. Hmm, I got the mute button just in time. Well done. No one had to hear that. Well done. I'm, I usually don't do that. Everyone usually gets to hear me explode on.
0: He yeah, sometimes I edit Yeah. No promises.
1: <laughs> Sometimes, okay. Well, you can add that sneeze back in if you want. It'll if it makes things I'll find a sound effect. <laughs> yeah. <well>, ah, <laughs> uh, There you go. Um, you know, I I did have a full time day job for for many years, and so I got to sort of practice this work life balance. Um, hmm. I'll sneeze again. Um. Anyway, you asked about balance for me. The the notion of this work life balance um, that. I, I think we we grew up with, or we, so as we understand it as a society, I think is wrong. I think it's you know this, the idea that there's a percentage of work that you do and a percentage of life outside of work that you do, and that we have to find that percentage for both things, um, and then and then keep it, is completely farcical. I, I, this just doesn't make sense to me. Mm. I think really, and I think it was um, who, whoever wrote the book essentialism that was. Uh, Greg McCown somebody somebody wrote it um and I think it was in that book where he talks about this idea of work life. he actually draws it out like work-life balances these two parallel lines these two vertical parallel lines um and they they sort of stay there and really what it is and then he draws another picture where it's just like squiggly line that goes back and forth between work and life Mm. um and the idea um of of that made a lot more sense to me where it's like, well, no, it's a give and take and it's a constant, well, I want to, you know, dedicate more time to my writing because last month um, we were moving and um, I need to get back into the rhythm or, you know, hey, my kid's going to school um, and so I want to make sure I'm really engaging with her and, and what she needs from me as a, as a father. So I'm going to choose to not do this thing over here, you know, related to my, my work. Yeah, Um, for the next month or so. But it's just constant give give and take um, between them. That idea of balance was very close to my idea um, of what balance really was. Truthfully, though, there's another piece to it. And that piece is I don't really see a lot of separation between work and life. I I am an author. I identify as an author. I also identify as a father. Those two things can and are... um, completely 100 percent true all of the time they're not mutually exclusive and so mm. the way that actually works in practice um like right now my kids know that i'm up in my room on a call mom has reminded them that dad's on a call but they can interrupt me if something happens if they you know I, there's nothing that's so important and i apologize because i i i know that you think you are so important that you can't <laughs> like this call. um but no <laughs> you know what i mean like there's, there's nothing that's so important that um they, they, they couldn't interrupt me if they had to. I don't do that kind of work. I don't do the kind of work that's so just crucial um, yeah. that no one can talk to me for eight hours a day. That's, that's, that's a pretentiousness that I don't have yeah. um, about my work. And so I want my, it's the open door policy, right? I want my kids to be able to come down and say, hey, look what I'm wearing. Look at this dress I picked out. Um, look, we've got a target, whatever the whatever the case is. Yes, it's going to break me out of my zone. Yes, it's going to you know cause me to have to jump back in and get in the groove again, but that's fine. That's what I want. Hmm. Um, that's the life I've designed and that's the life that, you know, um, see I'm saying, I'm using the word life. That's the work and life that I want. It's the same thing. It's this big ball of work and life and, you know, all these things in between and hobbies and whatever. And it's just all one big thing. Now that the reason you and I've talked in the past is because it's hard to, um, sometimes, uh, do all of it (laughs) um, and and feel like I'm doing all of it well. And so that's where, that was a very long answer, and I apologize. But that balance thing for me, it's it's much more complicated than um, well, I'm going to do 15% of my time devoted to work and 15% devoted to being a husband and 30% a bit. You know, I don't do that. I don't think, and a lot of us don't really. I think yeah. most of us are like, well, no, we're all of these things all the time. We just have to figure out um, when we're gonna when we're gonna put the time in to, to focus on each of
0: them. Yeah. Well, I li- I like that you brought up that this is the life you've designed and therefore it's all okay. Right. That seems like a crucial ingredient to acknowledge. Um,
1: It it helps because when I, when I feel like I'm not devoting enough time to one thing or another, I can remind myself that, Hey, no, this is by design. Now we can reassess. We can figure out if if this is an ongoing, like, okay, I'm not really being the husband I want to be. Let me mm -hmm. figure out what, where to put, you know, where, where to find the time. from from one of the other things. So I can devote more to this, but, but yeah, this isn't something that was handed to me by my boss. Like I, I I designed this life. And so um, that gives me the freedom to feel some of the, the, um, the the tension between these, these multiple different things. But it also gives me some of the constraint to know Mm -hmm. like, well, no, I, I didn't design my life so that I could, you know, spend 15 hours a week on, on a hobby. Um so if I really feel like I'm missing the hobby, then I need to redesign some of this stuff and, and sort of rejigger the schedule so that I can spend more time on the hobby if that's important to me. But anyway.
0: Right. And do you find that like your writing or your business suffers if if these other things are neglected?
1: Um no (laughs) um the answer pre-anxiety and and during the anxiety phase the last few years would would have been yeah absolutely man my my writing is going to suffer so much if i spend more time doing this with my kids or you know going to the park um on the weekend i I would i would have to write every day or i would feel like oh my god it's you know it's all going to end yeah i'm crashing down and now thank god um i don't i don't have that fear anymore my writing will suffer if I don't write, mm-hmm. but that's a much larger not write answer than character um, yeah, makes sense I'm
2: yeah it does. To know
1: how to say it you know like it yeah, it's it's what it takes for me to not write and and to fail as a writer is a much much much, much harder thing to do than what I initially thought. I mm-hmm. thought if I didn't write today, I was going to fail next month. Mm-hmm. and now it's more like well, yeah, if I don't write for three months. My writing's going to suffer. Like my my career is probably going to start going down. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? But there's no chance that I'm not going to write for three months.
0: First of all, thank you for for sharing all that because these are things that a lot of us deal with, or maybe all of us. I don't know. Um, and it's real, <laughs> right? There is that tension, and that's probably yeah, the, yeah. the that's probably the right word for it. Um,
1: like exactly. I wonder, I
0: wonder how much of like early on that concern about not writing is linked to not having the tools or the confidence to feel like, like feeling like maybe I am going to drop this ball or this potato, like permanently, if I lose momentum, right? Like I don't have the discipline to pick it back up or I don't have, you know, the community to lean on, to get me back going. I wonder how much of that plays a part.
1: Well, you know, at least with me, I came from having a full-time day job, you know, the nine to five and, and I had bosses, I had people that, the coworkers, I had people that relied on me for, for my work. Mm-hmm. But there was always going to be a, unless I really screwed up, there was going to be a salary. There was going to be money in, in the bank account at the end of every month. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that was true until the day I, I put my, or put my resignation in six months before I actually left. But so that was true until the day I left. Um, as a writer, or, or, and I, I would broaden that to any self-employed person and, and mm-hmm. all these, we all know this, right? This isn't, I'm not saying anything that's surprising to anyone, the contractor, the, um, the, the roofer, the plumber who works for themselves, any, any self-employed person understands this intuitively, or if they don't, then they're going to pretty quickly. Um, they're going to school of hard knocks gonna teach it to them, but there is no one giving us that income at the end of the month unless we roy, royally screw up. You know, there are, many ways besides royally screwing up that we can find for that money not to come in. And and another way of saying that, I guess just the opposite way of saying that is, um, specifically as a writer, if we don't write books, if we don't publish books, there's not going to be any money there. Mm -hmm. Um, now that's obvious. Now what's not obvious. And what I had to learn was that, um, it's not, it's not about, you know, well, I have to write a book. I have to write a, a book every month or I have to write, um, 2000 words a day. And if I don't, do one day of that, then I'm not going to get paid next month. That That's not true. That is mm-hmm. patently false. And that's what I had to learn. You know, So the contractor who um, wants to continue building houses and getting jobs has to fill the sales pipeline. He has to go talk to people. He has to go meet people. He has to go do work. Um, but if he takes one day off, he's not going to lose all those sales two months from now. Right. You know what I mean? Because so he's got a again, process. Saying, yeah. Yeah, right. He's got he's to have that system in place. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying anything that's news to anyone, but if anyone out there is, any of the tensions I've talked about, and you and I have I've, I've been on the phone about numerous times, if anyone out there is listening and, and feeling that, um, that's the next step is to learn to just, however you need to do it, whether you need to go get a, a counselor to, to tell you or just a community of people who, who have been through it to remind you that, hey, yes, you're a writer now, so you need to write. There, no one else is going to write those books for you, um, but but that does not mean you have to do this exact same task every single day, no matter what, or you're a failure. Right? Um, that's what I had to learn, and that's what I'm still learning. In some sense, you know, it's yeah. been weird because I haven't written a lot since we're moving and selling all this stuff, and I don't really even have a desk. I don't know where I would work, so I haven't written in a few days. Yeah. You know, No, I've I've edited, I've done writing tasks and some of the admin stuff, and I'm still doing ads and Marketing, all that, but yeah. but I haven't really written new words in, in a few days, and that would kill me before, and mm-hmm. that would be the immediate cause of anxiety. And now it's just like, yeah, well, you know, it's a season. I know myself are going to be fine.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's the real that's the real deal, and <laughs> it's <laughs> real talk. It's real talk, and you know, one of the things that brings up for me is this concept of labels that we give ourselves, like I'm a writer and because what sometimes comes with that is I'm not a writer if I don't Ah, uh, yeah, right and you know you talk about designing your life um, and balance for you and I'm guessing that that balance um, and that design um, tends to identify like give you a greater identity than just writer
1: That's absolutely true, Ethan. Yeah. I think I would call myself now and after knowing what I know and doing what I've done, um, and then just going through some of the shit (laughs) involved to get there, um, (laughs) the anxiety, you know, that kind of stuff. I think for me, the answer is to take the label and just make it a little broader. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm not a writer, I'm a creator who writes, Mm -hmm. um, that gives me the, the, the mindset freedom. You know, again, sometimes we, all of this stuff is psychological and it's just something we make up. So if you need to make something up so that you feel the freedom to go have a hobby or go hang out with friends and, 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 and not write, then mm-hmm. do what I did and that build this label, make the label bigger. Mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm a creator. I, that's my job. I create stuff. Um, that now gives me the freedom to write, which is how I make most of my money. Um, but it also gives me the freedom to dabble in programming um, or to, to go learn a new skill uh, to go build a new website that I'm going to do, you and I have talked about this at length, you know, um, to, to go do this thing over here that could turn into money one day. Um, now I don't have to feel bad about it because I'm not a writer. That's not my identity. That's not my, um, be my, my whole being is I'm a writer. I'm a creator. I like, that's my job. I like to create stuff that didn't exist. So writing books is a great way to do it because it's making most of my money right now, 95% of my income. So I should probably spend 95% of my time writing. Um, or, you know, maybe a little less or whatever, but, but not 100% of it needs to be writing.
0: Right. And so there's almost like this creative portfolio that you're managing, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think I want to write exclusively. There's, I love doing all these other things. And like I said, early on, I, I was drawn to the whole process of creating a book from scratch. And so, yeah. you know, I like doing cover design. I do all my own cover designs. I, I like doing the the layout especially now that there's Vellum, I could just toss it in there and pretty much it's done um, yeah. the, the website I go my own website like I like doing all that stuff now I don't want to do any of those things full time um, but strangely enough writing is no exception I don't want to do that full time I want to create stuff so buried
0: buried in, the, buried in there you've said something kind of controversial in, in some circles <laughs> doing my own cover design Yes. So yeah. how, this is paradoxical to me coming into this from other creative fields before writing, like the, the concept that you can teach yourself the craft of writing and the business of selling books and be full-time, but you can't teach yourself the craft and learn the, the business of doing cover design. It drives me uh, bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. Cause,
1: that's, that's, that's fair. Because. <laughs>
0: how many hours does it take to write, learn how to write one book or to write one book?
1: Probably a lot.
0: (laughs) And how many hours does it take to, to become good at understanding like the principles of cover design and learning a program to do it? Probably fewer. (laughs) Yeah. Fewer (laughs) than writing one book.
1: Well, here's the thing. And and this is what I think people are missing. And I I don't, I mean, I, I think you're on the right track with it. I think the reason we say as a community, don't do that. Don't do your own covers, please, for God's sake, stop. Um, Besides the the fact that those covers are usually shit is it's, it's a different, no, it's not different. It's people aren't realizing that they have practiced the craft of writing. Yeah. From the moment they first read a book. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like mm-hmm. I, I, I am, I, am a musician, so I know what practice actually means. So I'm not yeah. saying that you can learn how to write a book exclusively by reading. No, you have to actually write to, yeah. to, to write a book. Right. But um, you get good at it from the moment you start reading yeah. um, and every book you've read now becomes this composite, you know, like knowledge of, of what it takes to write something. Mm. Cover designs are are different. They're, they're, they're also a skill that you can certainly learn but you do not learn that skill by looking at other covers and not anything with, with no critical analysis or anything at play.
0: You're saying there's a a craft. There's a craft. I'm
1: saying surprise, surprise, there's a craft to it. Um, And and it is a skill that people don't realize um, needs to be practiced in a much different way than just, I've seen a bunch of book covers. Therefore, ergo, I am a book cover designer. That's not how it works. Um, Just like writing a book, it's not, well, I've read a bunch of books, ergo, I am now a writer. Um, that's yeah. not necessarily how it works. You, you, There's a lot more that that takes place. But, and that's the big, that's the thing I think people latch on to is, well, yeah, but, but reading a bunch of books, that's a big part of the practice of, of writing a bu- writing a book yeah. well. That's yeah. true. I, I would not say it's true that, well, seeing a lot of book covers is is half the battle. No, that's not really it. You have to see a bunch of book covers and know what you're looking at and be able to, okay, well, what? typography um, yeah. do they use people always say font they think it's a font it's a type it's a, it's a typography that um the font face you know anyway all these different these words the kerning the, all these things that um that that a cover designer will look at and understand yeah um people don't know those things unless they study those things specifically and try to learn them specifically right um and so it's just a i don't know i, I i'm i'm Took of my words, but the you know yeah, there's a craft to it, man, and most people um, don't spend any time learning that craft, and then they're like, "Well, I took a YouTube tutorial on how to use Photoshop, yeah, therefore I should design my own book cover."
0: And yet, you stuck with it, <laughs> and you're doing it because you love the creative process. I assume.
1: Yes, I, I do. I enjoy. I've I've been a Photoshop person from middle school onward, yeah. um, where I took a class in, in photography and Photoshop and all that, and so. Um, some of those skills I started learning way before I even knew I wanted to write books, much less design covers for it. Yeah. Um, so, and, and what i that, that's what I kinda was getting to is like, I knew some of these things that I, I didn't even know what I, I didn't know what I knew in some sense. So I would look at a book cover and be able to analyze it, not just from a, Hey, that's a cool book cover perspective, but from a designer perspective,
2: mm-hmm. because
1: I, I was like, wow, how do they create that? How do they layer those things together? Those clearly are two different images or two different stock photos. How do they, smash them together and make them look like they're one. Um, right. I was asking those kind of questions long before, um, I designed a book cover myself. And then when I paid somebody to do my first cover, um, there's somebody who's in the, who's the graphic designer uh, at the, the web firm that I worked at. And, um, so I could go in there and, and see the, the way and she probably hated it. I was looking over her shoulder, you know, but mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. that right there? What do you, how, how'd you do that? Like I got to actually engage in that process a little more than most people do. Um, you know, you pay someone, you get a book cover and then you make some tweaks and, and you're done.
2: Yeah. I
1: get to actually watch or do some of that. But yeah. anyway, over, over the years, um, I've I've started, you know, I, I, I've treated it like a skill. I've treated it like something I, I want to practice and get better at. And so I specifically would look at it and um, say, well, I want to be able to do this type of thing with a book cover. And I mm-hmm. don't know how to do that yet. So let me go take whatever, you know, watch a YouTube video or Udemy course or whatever the thing is that, that will teach me that
2: mm-hmm. I
1: think. Um, and then try to do that. And I've gotten better and better and better. And so I mean objectively I've gotten better because I, I, I've I've learned a new tool or I've learned a new skill. Now yeah. subjectively, I don't know if my book covers are any better than they were three years ago, but um they're good enough. They sell and um yeah they uh the people 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 say they like them. Authors say that they're good. So I'll I'll take that in. Yeah,
0: soon. I guess the ultimate feedback and this is the attractive part to me of of certain fields and crafts is when success is measurable. Right. And did I write a good book? Well, that's tough mm. to say, right? <laughs> right. Um, there's a lot that goes into measuring that and you still don't know. And you still don't know. Better. And then
1: what the 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 tragedy is a lot of authors who aren't selling well assume that it's because they didn't write a good book. Yeah. Oh, I need to go learn. It's like, no, it's always it's always good to practice your craft. It's always or, good to get better.
0: Or like, but. hey, dude, you paid five hundred dollars for this cover and it's the <laughs> it doesn't say the right genre. <laughs> right. And and the person's gonna quit because they don't have five hundred they're not gonna keep spending five hundred dollars on right. a failed dream. Right. But like if you're making your own covers. It's so easy to measure objectively, is this, like, <laughs> if I know my demographic and my genre and I'm advertising to that and I'm getting clicks, right? Yeah, like, to, yeah it, you, you know, you, know you, you can measure getting better with doing that, whereas it's hard with writing, it takes a lot longer.
1: Yes, there's a lot of subjectivity in writing um, and, and we, we attach objectivity to things that really aren't objective in writing because there's yeah. not a lot of things that are objective in writing. Um, sales is, is the, the biggest one, I think. Oh, well, you know, it's not selling well, therefore the book isn't good enough. Well, well no, it, your cover sucks, your title is off, it's the wrong genre, yeah. um, you know, whatever. Like all these other things are probably- Or you're, or
0: you're not <laughs> advertising.
1: <laughs> or yeah, or they're just not getting enough eyeballs to it. Yeah, um, who knows? I always say to you know, with people designing their own book covers, um, or even book cover designers, you know, I, I always remind people this is my theory on book covers. I, Ethan, I don't think um, book covers actually sell books. Mm-hmm. I think at best they prevent losing a sale. Mm. Um, most people, we always say we don't judge don't a book by their cover. Well, we do that. Um, that's how we decide we want to click through and, and, you know, read the description and that engages us. We'll, we'll buy the book and we'll keep reading or the look inside or whatever. Yeah. Um, the book cover only tells people, hey, your expectation for what this is, is correct.
2: Um,
1: Literally, I don't know anybody who's bought a book and read it all the way to the end just because the book cover was good. They (laughs) read it because it seems like a book they would like. um, And they continued reading it because it was good. Because the the actual words inside the book were good. Not because of the book cover. And so the book cover is never going to sell your book. The book cover is just going to prevent people from clicking away. You know, so you click on my book cover because the book cover looks good, um but the reason you buy it is, okay, well, actually that story seems pretty cool, man. um I, I read some of his other stuff, I know who these people are, uh, the characters are good, um, I want to see what happens um in in this one, but but none of that has anything to do with the actual book cover itself, yeah, you know what I'm saying so yeah Most, mostly just I just, to,
0: mostly I was just like trying to get at like you know i it's a craft. And oh
1: yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I'm yeah, just, and I'm, I'm not trying to go on a sermon. It's like, just you know, yeah, yeah.
0: it's a craft, right? And you can you can learn it, and you know, you're you're bigger than your label of author. You're not an author, right? You're creative.
1: Creative, yeah. I want to be a creator because that frees me from the the um, the, the chains of just saying I I only am a writer and therefore if I don't write I'm a failure. No, 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 no. I'm a creator. So if I don't write, then well, maybe I made beer this week. Well, that's cool. I created something.
0: Yeah. You
1: know. So Not I had, probably going to pay me pretty soon, but, um, one okay. day, <laughs> maybe a little bit of brewery. I don't know.
0: There you go. Or move to Hawaii. <laughs> um, I definitely we'll do that. Hopefully if they let us. Yeah. Right. So, Hey, another big question for you. Kinda. Um, what does success mean to you?
1: Oh man. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good one. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I don't, I have no idea how to put it into words, I should say. Right. Like I, I feel like I am a successful author. Um I'm a successful creator, I'm a successful man, human being, all these things are true, but um but there's something something about the journey, something about the
2: mm.
1: well hey, I'm not I'm not where I want to be. I'm not there yet, right? Like I'm not dead. So I'm still mm-hmm. learning, I'm still growing, I'm still creating, I'm still doing all these things. And as long as I'm doing those things, I I think I'm successful. Yeah. Um yeah. I think it's probably the best way I can think of to define that.
0: So staying um, on the path is success.
1: Yeah. Staying on the path. But, uh, you know, Neil Gaiman always says, uh, or I don't know how many times he said it, actually. Um, I wrote his commencement speech, the same one, numerous times. So I assume he said it more than once. But <laughs> in that commencement speech, he always says, do the thing that moves you closer to your mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and everybody gets to define for themselves what that mountain is. And in some sense, I think he's using that as a synonym for success. Yeah. Um, what what is that thing? What are those things that you call successful and then just do the things that get you closer to that? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, a, a major, like speaking financially, success means I don't have to worry um, about my family's health. That mm-hmm. That's successful to me. So that's a destination where I'm not there yet, right? Like I'm still, I still worry. I still have anxiety about, um, well, crap, what are we going to do with health insurance and, and all this stuff? And yeah. um, I, I yeah. want to get to the point where I have so much money. I don't even... I don't even care because I'll just pay whatever doctor to fix my kid or whatever the thing is, you know, um, that may not be a very fair um, measure of success, but that's mine. That That's one of the things for me that I would love to get to the point where I just don't have any fear about money because mm-hmm. it's just, there's so much of it that's just there. Um, yeah, that sounds really, you know, capitalistic on it. But the, the truth is, I think a lot of us have something financially that we can say, well, this would be successful for me. Huh. Um, but again, I just, I'm talking about financially only. Success yeah. in general means, yeah, as long as I'm moving closer to that mountain, as long as I'm a creator that's creating things and putting new things out into the world, um, I consider it myself a success.
0: Yeah. So, like, because if you left it objectively at the money and the benefits, right, you'd stick at the day job, right?
1: Exactly, yeah. Um, that's exactly right, man. Um, I was successful in the financial part at my day job because – I had health insurance. It was a great health insurance plan. It was 100% covered by, uh, the, it was a church that I worked for. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really funny because most churches are, are shit when it comes to taking care of people. Yeah. Um, but this is a fantastic church. Still, the church we go to, um, the people that I worked with were amazing, but yeah, the, the benefits that they had allowed me to not worry at all about the health stuff yeah. that, you know, that, well, what's going to happen? Well, it doesn't matter what's going to happen because, um, there's, there's a plan in place for if something happens and and that plan is good. Um, Going full time changed that immensely. (laughs) Uh, And I I should add, you know, I went full time and then two months later, my wife decided um, she was going to leave her job uh, for stress and anxiety. And we had young kids and all that. So um, it was a good decision, but it certainly financially was very, very scary because all of a sudden it was, we went from three incomes to to one and it was like, Oh crap. Now it's all resting on my shoulders and, Right. you know, of course, the anxiety starts creeping in and, and it's not, oh, well, we don't know how this is going to work in the future. It's all of a sudden, my kids are going to die if I don't write today, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which is, again, I should just to be very clear. That is absolutely never true, yeah. um, probably for anybody. But that's what anxiety told me. That's what anxiety tells people. Yeah. Um,
0: and it's not, really it's not necessarily that. easier being a small business.
1: <laughs> no, no, certainly not. It, it definitely added... Challenges and and and, and things to the mix, but yeah, ultimately success is more than just the financial stuff. The financial mm. piece, the success is um, creating new stuff. You know, if, if I never write another book, I will have to replace that creative with something. You know, and yeah. I, I I have an album that came out. Like I do music stuff, just like you do. Yeah. Um, So I, I will be able to fill that void, but that void is what needs to be filled in order in order for me to consider myself successful.
0: Mm. And that's what we're doing when we do this as a job, right? We're buying the time. We're investing in the time to be able to create it because otherwise we wouldn't have, that. ha- we wouldn't, to yeah, we wouldn't have the time to do it to our satisfaction otherwise.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, we would always feel like, well, I could probably have made this better because, uh, or if I didn't have this job in the way or whatever, whether that's true or not, that's how yeah. we would always feel. Is, well, yeah, I wrote this book, but man, can you imagine how good this could have been if I, if I didn't have the day job or if I didn't have kids, <laughs> whatever the, whatever the excuse is. Right. And so, yeah, we're buying that freedom to be able to say, Hey, you know, yeah, I, now I've got this block of time set aside to create and that's my time. I get to do whatever I want with it. And by God, I'm going to create, I'm going to do something with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so p- for people, Nick, who want to know more about you, um, how can they find you?
1: Um, I, you know, I I do have the Facebook and the Twitter and all that stuff, but I don't use it in a whole lot. Um, the best thing you can do is go to my website, nickthacker.com, mm-hmm. and sign up for the mailing list. Not because I want you on my mailing, I do want you on my mailing list, but um, that's the best way you can just reach out to me, send me an email. Yeah. Um, I actually am a real person and I respond to all those emails. So get in touch with me through my website and um, and we can become friends. And then mm-hmm. if you want to get on Facebook and everything, then I'll actually know who you are and. and We can continue the. we can make the relationship real, Get on Facebook.
0: Yeah. And you, and you do, you do dabble like in, um, nonfiction targeted at authors and
1: yes, I've been doing more of that. I I started with the blog a long time ago and then kind of gave up on that for a little while, but I I really, I I love talking to other authors. I love, um, whether or not I'm teaching them anything, I don't know, but, um, I enjoy that. I, I like talking to them and I like, um, telling people, you know, hey, this is what I did, and don't do this. Do this instead.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, it's
1: a lot of fun. So yeah, I've started doing some nonfiction stuff. I've got a couple books out um, in the indie indie author mastery line, mm-hmm. what I call it, and uh, one's about platform and building, website, and online presence, and another one's on BookBub, how to get a featured deal.
0: Right, because you get those a lot.
1: I do. Yeah, every couple months it seems.
0: And that's kind of the uh, unicorn of the writing and publishing industry for right. people who don't know
1: yes <laughs> yes that is the 800 pound um or whatever whatever idiom uh, they can they can, uh,
0: unicorns, they can be 800 pound unicorns absolutely
1: yeah i guess if unicorns aren't real they can be whatever size you make them
0: yeah um and and, and you're kind of the unicorn whisper
1: <laughs> yes it seems so um i think and, and the reason i wrote the book is it seems you know most people assume um that's i'm just somehow in bed with with book and they just really like me well that may be true but I think there's a system there um, that, that people can start to implement that will get them a feature deal in, mm-hmm. in, at some point or another. And I think that because that's, that I use that system. I created it years ago because the system essentially is just submit all the time. Yeah. Um, and there's a little tricks and hacks and things you can do to, to, to do that better. But um, most people will submit once and get rejected, and no one likes rejection. So they're just like, well, I'm not going to do that again. I'm stupid. Right. And then it never submit. But it, you know, if I, I was submitting I usually submit every single day when it's when it's submission season, whatever mm. I call it. You know, so if I get a book bub like I have a I had a book bub on uh Sunday. What's today, Monday, Tuesday? I don't know. I had it two days ago. Um I had a book bub deal for the Amazon code. So right now it's not book bub season. So I because I just had one, so I can't have another one for another month. Mm. But when another month it, it um uh, rolls around, um June thirtieth or whatever the date will be. Um, I will start submitting every single day for a book club,
0: feature deal. So, right, and it probably helps having more books. But exactly, so that's I, all part of the. I suppose so. Yeah. So indie author mastery, and that's something you can search for on Amazon, I assume, and on yep. Facebook, I believe there is a group for that, right?
1: There was at one time. I, like I said, i am not very good Facebook. But well, uh, good. I'm. Yeah, I'm actually, not either. A little, I, a I'm. Group there I'm happy here. to <laughs>
0: hear that I'm not the only one who's negligent. Oh,
1: Every time I do something like that, I'm like, okay, I want to do a Facebook group, and this is it. This is the time I'm really going to be engaged. And like an hour later, I'm like I hate Facebook.
0: I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Nick, it's been a pleasure having you on the show.
1: Hey, well, thanks for having me. This this was a lot of fun. You are an incredible uh, interviewer and question asker. Um, which sounds it, it may sound like that's not a um, much praise, but trust <laughs> me, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, I'm a terrible interviewer, so. You're good at this, man. Um, I loved the conversation, even though it was a little one-sided. I, I talked a little too much, but uh, am yeah,
0: always the point. happy to, to
1: do this. And, uh, <laughs> it's happy the to, point. Happy to, happy to chat with you anytime.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.